Welcome back to the Coffee with Craner show. Thank you all for joining today. Today, I have Chris Taylor on the show. He's born and raised in the Windsor-Essex area. He also graduated from the University of Windsor with a political science and communication degree. He is a former entertainment lawyer, also the founder of Last Gang Entertainment, and the current global president of music at Entertainment One, where he sees over 300 staff, 15 different locations and offices located throughout the world. He's an extremely high caliber guest speaker. I'm so lucky to have him on the show today. Chris, thank you for joining everyone back here in Windsor, Essex. Nice to be here. Thanks, Lyndon. So, Chris, when you're when you're not in Canada and you're out in Los Angeles at headquarters, I do have to ask, where is your favorite place to get coffee in Los Angeles? I've uh, there's a place called Angelini, uh, which is really an Italian restaurant, but there's a uh, there's a cafe that's attached to it that opens up in the morning. It's um, so uh, it's at the it's in the uh, fair what's called the Fairfax area in LA. So Fairfax and Beverly, La Brea and Beverly area. It's uh, across the street from the El Coyote uh, Mexican, which is kind of a legendary Mexican restaurant in uh, Los Angeles. Um, but the coffee there is great. There's a guy uh, Daniel uh, that serves it with a lot of TLC uh, in the morning. Um, I think we were saying before the call. Um, we have, uh, we have, a, a corporate housing kind of in that neighborhood. So I used to stay there a lot, um, uh, and drink coffee there almost every day. Not so much anymore, but that, that's my favorite spot. Excellent. Coffee made with love. Yeah. It's an important ingredient. Exactly. It is. So Chris, I have to ask, um, being a music industry entrepreneur now leading entertainment one, um, what are some obstacles and you were you founded Last Gang Entertainment and, and uh, a law firm and, and so many other entrepreneurial businesses. What are some obstacles that you've had to come personally as an entrepreneur that maybe some emerging leaders today can kind of listen to and learn from? Uh, in in the beginning, you know, no one no one really handed uh, handed it to me. You know, I didn't have a a wealthy father like Donald Trump or. Uh, a trust fund to sort of fall back on. The great parents, really supportive parents, uh, but really had to work hard, you know, um, just you know, get up early, go home late, work really hard. It's a, it, it, our field in the entertainment business is a very competitive field. Uh, so you have to work harder than the next person um, and really kind of grind things out. And we built, uh, built a law practice kind of brick by brick. I have a really uh, supportive Windsor Wright wife uh, that was really helpful in the early days. She had really gainful uh, employment and was uh, really supportive of me when I was trying to build uh, my business uh, in the early days. Um, so I'd say those were some key elements. So Chris, walk me through maybe, I, I know every day is different. What is like a typical day for you and you, I know you mentioned waking up early. What what is the day like for you in being a president at E1? Yeah, and to you know today it's a little different with COVID. Uh, as mentioning before the call, uh, we've come back to Toronto, so we're at our Toronto home. But it, the the typical day to day because we're in Los Angeles is waking up fairly early, somewhere around six o'clock, trying to get some exercise in, and then your email inbox is 
pretty full by that time, just because we do have offices in um, uh, Australia, uh, Germany, uh, London. So there's uh, email and inbox uh, work there in the morning. Um, so you're starting that almost while you're exercising and starting to get through some of that, reading uh, industries, trades, kind of getting caught up on the news of the day. And then probably in the office or uh, on route to the office by about 8, 8 a.m. And then I start, I usually have, um, you know, pre-scheduled calls in the morning on the commute in LA is uh, a big part of your life. Um, and so I have a scheduled call usually at 8 a.m. as I'm rolling into the office uh, to talk to different people, whether it's New York or London or Toronto, uh, Nashville, Miami, uh, to sort of speak with our managers in the music and life uh, uh, business. Um, and then hit the office, usually at the office by 8.45, 9 o'clock. And then it's phone calls, you know, all day. Um, now it's teams calls <laughs> every half hour or uh, every hour uh, kind of moving through business. And then, uh, you know, pre-COVID, it was often, you know, 6 or 7 o'clock, maybe a, a dinner meeting somewhere. Uh, and then in Los Angeles, you know, it's a pretty active market for uh, live concerts and things like that. So often out uh, to see a show or two or three some nights, uh, if you have clients in town, sort of, um, you know, they like to see you there and I like live music. Uh, so that goes together well. Um, and then up the next day to do it all again. Yes. Would you say you're working seven days a week? Uh, probably six at this point, you know, I sneak some, I sneak an hour in or two on a Saturday and then sometimes I'm allowed to run, uh, run free on Sundays. Uh, yeah. But yeah, Monday to Friday is pretty action packed. Awesome. And I kind of want to ask you, you were an entertainment lawyer and you've represented so many great artists, Drake, Avril Lavigne, Sum 41, Nelly Furtado, Three Days Grace, you name it, you've worked with them. Why did you make the switch from practicing law to now being an entrepreneur in the music industry? Uh, I, I had uh, practiced for about 15 years. Um, and the discussion with E1 probably started a couple of years before that. Um, I started, you know, the, the label uh, was really to be a hobby um, to you know, impress my clients and just have some fun with some records that I was a fan of and some artists that I was a fan of that maybe weren't going to get record deals otherwise. So I started that label in around 2005 and it, it developed into its own business. It was supposed to be kind of a hobby. Uh, then it was, you know, 10 staff and distribution around the world and this whole other business running in parallel with my law practice. Um, and after I, you know, sort of achieved a lot with Drake, and in the practice and everything else, the, my passion was really developing Last Gang and working with artists directly on that level, uh, on a managerial or running a recording business. Um, I was really enjoying that part of my life. And E1 provided that opportunity to kind of bridge, leave my practice, which I sold to my partners, and then transition over into that kind of entrepreneurial uh, recording business, music publishing business, uh, full time. And it really was, 
it was it was that it was the right time, but it was also the opportunity itself. I really did uh, the 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 head of E1, who's still there, Darren Troop, uh, is a pretty inspiring guy, uh, pretty convincing guy ultimately, and somebody that I wanted to work with uh, and learn from. Uh, and then had never really been in that sort of uh, sizable corporate environment before. You know, my law practice was myself and nine other lawyers, pretty small, independent boutique uh, uh, idea. And then the label that I started was a, an independent, small boutique kind of business as well. And moving to E1 was going to be more of a, a corporate environment with like HR and IT and facilities and things like that. And that actually, uh, that attracted me. You know, I was always kind of curious what that side of the fence uh, would look like. So made the jump in 2016 and haven't looked back. It's been a lot of fun. Yes. And did you always see yourself going into the music industry? I did. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to be on stage. You know, I thought that was my destiny. I played uh, in a band full time from 90 to 95. Uh, we had a record deal and put out a bunch of records and a bunch of videos and had a lot of fun doing that. I, I had always given myself the deadline of 30. I say if I'm by the time I'm 30, if I'm not, you know, as big as Bono, I'm going to quit. I'm going to be a lawyer. And I, I, I had a law degree in my pocket, so I kind of hedged my bets a little bit. Uh, when I finished law school, that's when the band began. So I was playing in the band, knowing I had a law degree, knowing all the contacts, all the lessons I learned uh, along the way would probably help fuel uh, a music law practice. Uh, which it did ultimately after I quit when I turned 30 years old. I think I quit three days after my 30th birthday. Wow. Yeah, no, def definitely. And and for those watching, the band was called One. It uh, nominated for a Juno Award, traveled across the across the world and country um, performing. So that's awesome. That I guess would you say you're you were inspired from from being in a band and that led you towards being a leader in in the music industry. Is that exactly how it kind of worked? Yeah, I think when I when I started playing in a band, I didn't even realize there was something like music lawyers until we started having to use them ourselves. I was like, mm -hmm. oh wow, there's like lawyers that work in the music business. Maybe that's something. Maybe that's something I can do if this doesn't work out. Um, um, and you know, having having done it, I mean, I was in the band professionally for five years, but I'd always played in bands probably from about the age of 15 and just loved it. You know, I love musicians. I'm in awe of musicians. I'm in an awe of great performers. Um, it's been a really big part of my life. So being able to combine that with my, um, with my legal education was kind of a, a, a perfect match, made a lot of sense. Excellent. And, and what can, what can, I know, I know plenty of students that are either they're, practicing music right now, they want to become a performer or even a lawyer. Um, what is what is this music or entertainment industry like? And what can those people that are, are looking to become those aspiring lawyers, musicians, or even performers, what can they expect? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, there's this kind of a two-sided question, right? With yeah. respect to musicians, I think there's more opportunities for musicians than there ever was before. You can literally record at home 
upload your music at home, mm -hmm. collect your money at home, and build a build an audience at home. Uh, small, medium, large, you know, depending on how all of that goes. And there are very few uh, gatekeepers today in the middle of that, at least in terms of being able to build uh, a bit of a business for yourself and an economy around that. You know, if I think back to the day when I was in a band in the 1990s, like, how did anybody from Australia ever hear my music? They never would, unless I had a record company that was manufacturing my records and putting them into stores in Australia and marketing them people would more than likely never ever hear my group or if we didn't get on the radio now it's it's all there the 50 million songs ever created are up on spotify for everyone to hear so there's so many tools and opportunities uh, for artists these days to take advantage of on the legal side i do see um you know there's uh the young crop of music attorneys that are building practices for themselves they are uh you know internet savvy they 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 know how they're tracing and scouting and doing research on recording artists as much as record companies themselves you know it got to a point you know probably near you know probably around 2005 2006 2007 where we had, we had done a pretty good job as a uh, music law practice boxing out the Americans because historically what would happen in the Canadian market if a Canadian act in Toronto started to get hot the U.S. attorneys would hear about it and kind of fly in and wine and dine bands and then steal them and take them to America <laughs> and what I wanted to do was be a, more proactive than that I wanted to get into business with these artists before they had anything going on uh, and by the time the New York New York lawyers heard about it, I, I already had them. You know, mm -hmm. that's that's Nelly Furtado, Sum 41, Three Days Grace, all the bands that you manage, you mentioned, because I would take their CDs down to New York and start shopping them to record labels and help find them record deals. That changed probably in around 2004, 2005, 2006, where you know an artist that want had something going on and buzzing online would be able to google uh lawyer for uh jay-z and their name pops up yeah and find them uh or uh what what more often was happening if anybody had a song if you uploaded it on soundcloud or youtube or wherever if it started to vibrate and started to happen there were four lawyers calling you know wow. it wasn't it wasn't like uh they had to reach out to attorneys and get some help. Or there'd, be, there'd be four lawyers emailing, there'd be a publicist willing to work for free. There's seven record companies that are calling and you, you, you know, you'd arrive at the party at the same time and you'd be like, wow, this, this game uh, completely changed, um, you know, with, with the rise of the internet and, and all the mm -hmm. that people had. So my, my answer to, um, you know, young lawyers if they want to be that kind of deal shopping attorney is you know get roll up your sleeves figure out to figure out how you find out when bands are happening the second they're putting out hot songs be a resource for them uh and help be a, a guardian for them as the the vultures of the industry kind of come out and start trying to sign them up to contracts you want to be the lawyer that's there 
uh, a step before all of those other people arrive. How do you stand out? You mentioned four people are coming at one artist at once. How do you stand out as a lawyer? Um, I think the best one have a really great um, artist bedside manner. Um, I think too, it's your, your roster at this point. You, you know, you have to be able to say, uh, hi, I love your music. And by the way, I'm the lawyer for Drake. And people are mm -hmm. like, oh, okay. So this, this guy must know what he's doing. Yes. Um, for me in the early days, it was just like, I love your music. I'll work for free. Let me take your music to New York and see if I can find you a record deal. Um, and I was fortunate to build up a good practice. Nelly was really the first that I was able to do that with. Uh, but then having her, that was my calling card. I was like, oh, I'm, I love your music and I'm the lawyer for Nelly Furtado. And people would be like, oh, wow, that's, you must know what you're doing. Um, and so you're able to get in the bed with them. Sometimes you're up against other lawyers that can say the same thing, right? They can say, I love your music and I'm the lawyer for Jay-Z. And then it becomes, you know, who, who do they, they like most? Who's returning the phone calls? Who's vibing uh, with the artist the most? Who's the most attentive? And it becomes a bit of a battle. Wow. No, that's, that's very fascinating to know. And would you say majority of the time you were working for free to kind of build yourself up? Uh, the early the early days I was I would say I started practicing in 97 probably up until about 2004 2005 that was the way that was the way you built up a practice and you you know you you get CDs from people uh, all through the week and then on Saturday you go into the office there'd be 50 CDs and you listen to all of them and you try to say okay that some 41 band sounds like they've got something i'm going to call them or billy talent um literally it's like you know i'd have 100 cds on my desk and go through all of them and try to figure out which ones made sense to chase after so you wow. it, was, it was creative instinct uh, a lot back then i think that art is kind of gone which is unfortunate now it's really about data if, if somebody has a song that's hmm. streaming like crazy or Today it's TikTok, right? If something yeah. floating on TikTok, I guarantee you there's a bunch of lawyers in, in the United States right now that are monitoring TikTok every day, or there's some legal intern that's sitting in a little closet office somewhere monitoring TikTok and everything <laughs> time something explodes, they get the big lawyer to call them or email them and wow. uh, tell them they're the best things in sliced bread. And they bring them in and they wait for the labels to call. Wow, that's that's so interesting. And those watching, I imagine, are, are very interested in this because it's something that not many people know about how this entire deal goes down with lawyers. And I, I kind of want to jump into our last question here um, for students that are considering entering either the music or the entertainment business. Um, what is what are some things that they should know or maybe even something you wish you knew when you entered this this field? I think it's helpful to work in uh, major markets, major entertainment markets. Um, Los Angeles, I think, is the the biggest music market in the world. Um, New York and Nashville are important. Uh, Miami, London, Toronto is important as a Canadian market. Uh, I think with respect to Windsor, I think there's a, a joint program there that's interesting. I mean, a lot of people um, in Canada at least don't realize Windsor's like living in a in a suburb of Detroit. You know, I remember growing up, I could get to downtown clubs in 
22 minutes from my house if the bridge was clear and security was waving me through quickly. Um, in Detroit, I mean, there's some, been some great bands that have come out of J Detroit uh, over the years. There's not as much industry there though as well. Mm -hmm. So I say, if you have the options, um, you, you have the financial wherewithal, you should probably go to school in uh, Los Angeles or New York or Miami, Nashville, some of uh, maybe Atlanta, sort of music hotbeds, uh, if that's if that's where you want to practice, because that provides, you know, opportunities for uh, part time work, internships, relationships, you know, often there's uh, teachers at the various uh, uh, programs that have uh, relationships in the entertainment industry. It's a way to get started because I, I guess to answer your question a little bit more, it's a, if you want to get started, like get started now, like don't go to don't go to law school, you know, maybe in Victoria, BC for three years and, and learn all the laws and then get started on your music career. Okay. Like, like get started as soon as you can. Wow. Yes. Thank you, Chris. And thanks for, thanks for sharing that. And for those watching, if you do have any questions, feel free to put them in the comments. We'll try to get, try to get to them. Um, but Chris, it's an absolute pleasure. I really appreciate you joining us, um, talking to the Windsor folks. You're from the Windsor Essex area and I'm incredibly grateful to have you on the show today. Thanks so much. Thanks Lyndon. Say hi to your dad for me. Yes, absolutely. We have a couple of people actually that said hello. Uh, Jake Diab, Chris Diab, uh, Chris Taylor is a legend. Um, Mike Janice says, when is the BFA reunion? Oh, wow. He's going, <laughs> he's going deep there. <laughs> Nothing planned right now. The Windsor area loves you, Chris, and I, I appreciate your time today. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Linda. Take care.